Hi everyone, I'm Laura Warnod, and this is the Wonder Workers podcast. Wonder Workers is an interview-based podcast where I invite change makers to talk about their experience, their mission, and drive towards impacting the world, and ultimately to inspire, educate, and empower entrepreneurs, business leaders, and owners, and young people on how they can build together a more sustainable world. This community of wonder workers act behind the scenes to lead the world towards a new era of purpose, self-actualization, and innovation. This is a generation who shows no limits to what they can accomplish, no tolerance for dehumanization, and use their uniqueness as a real power to change the world. We want to invite you, responsible leaders, entrepreneurs, young people, and all other listeners in your quest for purpose to give you too the power to change the world. But having powers alone does not make us superheroes. Even them need allies. It's only when we accept our differences, combine our powers, belong and thrive together that our forces can turn into superpowers. We are Wonder Workers, a community of change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, and aspiring ones who use their superpowers collectively to change the world. So tell me, what are your superpowers? In today's episode of Wonder Workers, I am with Sabrine Assem. I must say I'm so excited to have her on the podcast and quite honored, to be honest, because I met Sabrine when we were at university and we were in the same master's, the same course. And well, she was a badass. We were all juniors in the field of technology and innovation. And I remember that each time she had such great examples to share from her experience to nourish the conversation within the group and also very innovative ideas to bring to the table. But she's also the most caring leader I've ever seen. She is a wholehearted human being who is trying to contribute to this world in, in her own way. And today we're going to talk about her journey, her experience, her mission, and how she contributes to building a better world. Sabrine is the founder and CEO of Untap, a leading competition management platform that enables innovation-driven organizations to tap into the power of open innovation and generate creative solutions. They help organizations plan, launch, manage, promote, and assess open innovation challenges, hackathons, startup programs, creative contests, and more. Sabrine got her master's degree in digital innovation and information systems from Warwick Business School in the UK. She used to teach at the university and work as an innovation consultant before founding Untap. She has worked on diverse innovative projects tackling social, cultural, technological and workplace innovation with the likes of Procter Gamble, Vodafone and now Dell Technologies. I mean, wow, like no pressure, but I'm interviewing this lady today. Okay, well, let's jump in. Hi, Sabrine. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much. This is the most amazing intro I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I hope I deserve these words. I hope I deserve these words. Thank I mean, you. you do 100%. It's very genuine. You know, I, I remember our time at Warwick and it was really short, but it was such a, an intense experience from a human perspective. I feel like we've met so many incredible people. I mean, 
to me, I've met so many smart, intelligent people and you were definitely one of them. I mean, and you were definitely one of them <laughs> definitely as well from my side. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I guess let's start by, you know, you telling us more about your story and who you are, like right from the beginning or wherever you want to start. So basically, I'm, I'm from Egypt. I'm from Alexandria in Egypt. And I graduated from the German school in Alexandria before moving on to the German University in Cairo to study innovation and information systems. The German school played a huge role in my personality and in my upbringing process, in addition to my family, of course. And I was so passionate from the very beginning in entrepreneurship and innovation, even while studying at the high school level. I worked on several projects, then moved on to the university, where I again got engaged in many different programs. One of them actually was a program where we traveled to Silicon Valley, to the U.S. back in 2006. It was many, many years ago. And we got exposed to the entrepreneurship ecosystem there, which was still forming, by the way. And I got so inspired that when I returned back to Egypt, I started my first venture, a magazine basically promoting entrepreneurship and startups for the youth in Egypt. And then basically I kept studying and I kept working and I graduated and I became a teaching assistant at the university. And at some point I decided to start my own company, which was Silvermine. Silvermine was basically an innovation crowdsourcing platform connecting organizations in need for innovative solutions to networks of problem solvers from the crowd. It was a very novel concept at the time. It was back in 2011. So basically, uh, we worked for a couple of years on the startup, but unfortunately failed. And then I moved on and became a consultant at the German Arab Chamber of Commerce working for the German Ministry of Economic Affairs on projects promoting entrepreneurship in the region. And at some point, I also consulted a few companies on innovation and strategy and so on and so forth. And then I started working on UNTAP, which I hope I can share more info about throughout the podcast. And I did my master's at some point with you guys at work. It was an amazing experience in 2017, 2018, and master's was in digital innovation, which was super relevant. And then basically got back to Egypt and kept working on Untap. Till now, it's a fully-fledged company, of course, with uh, several investors on board, with a large team, and with very, very amazing programs and, I hope, huge impactful competitions and hackathons uh, always running. Wow, amazing. I mean, we'll definitely talk about Untap at some point, but I'd like to come back to a few stuff that you talked about because that sounds like really interesting and like amazing experience. Um, I think you said at some point you went to the Silicon Valley to do a project there. Yeah. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So basically, I was did that uh, at the university in the first year. I got selected for uh, MEPI. MEPI was a program that was funded by the USA Department. It was the abbreviation was something like a Middle East program for students or something. And it was a great uh, student exchange program. Part of it was us visiting Silicon Valley. And we went there and I remember we had like a few corporate visits. We saw Cisco, we saw, uh, I believe, uh, a couple of VCs, actually, they're venture capitalists. 
and we just uh, had conversations with a few entrepreneurs. And uh, it was so inspiring that uh, at some point when I got uh, back to Egypt, I applied for a grant by MEPI, by the USA Department, and I told them we got to do something about promoting entrepreneurship in the region and in Egypt in particular. And this is why let's start a magazine, let's interview successful entrepreneurs. And basically the magazine launched and it was in the beginning a printed magazine, but then I turned it to become an online version of online magazine. And afterward, I mean, I, I worked on it for uh, throughout my years of study at the GUC, at the German University, and had, I think, over 10 interviews with different successful entrepreneurs. And it was super early for the entrepreneurship ecosystem and for all of that, ultimately, I decided to move on to different uh, projects, but it was definitely a very inspiring experience for me. Of course, Silicon Valley back in 2006 is so different than it is now. There was still no Facebook, there was still no Snapchat, whatever other social media companies and what other other uh, startups, huge startups, they were still at the very beginning or not existent. But still, when I got exposed to the kind of innovation culture there, I decided that it was uh, time to just uh, try and grab something out of this uh, knowledge and just uh, transfer it back to Egypt. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's always so nourishing to be in an environment where, you know, you see that innovation happening and like all those entrepreneurs doing stuff. It's so energizing. And I mean, I feel that too in my day to day, like you want to also contribute to the world and do something meaningful. So I guess it must have been such a, an amazing experience. And so then later on, you worked for the German Foreign Agency. Yes, I worked for the German Arab Chamber of Commerce as a consultant, not full-time, but it was a great experience as well because I was playing an intermediary role like someone in between the established German companies and the Egyptian startups. And we did events, for instance, the mapmaking events and conferences, trying to get those two to work together, uh, to find business opportunities, to collaborate. And uh, also I did many workshops uh, on uh, several topics uh, related to startups, growth hacking, innovation management, design thinking, and all of that, the two groups of entrepreneurs here in Egypt uh, through this uh, project that was uh, by the German uh, chamber. And also we organized a lot of trips for, for Egyptian entrepreneurs to go and visit the German side of things and see how Germany is just all the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Berlin and in München and in other parts in, uh, in Germany. So that was super interesting as well. Wow. It's interesting because you have then a mix of experience between the private and the public sector. So it's almost like you have a an overall view of how it works depending on the sector in terms of innovation and yeah, hopefully. I mean, like I did learn a lot. Mm -hmm. I did learn a lot in regards to uh, to how the private sector, uh, whether we're talking about all levels, I mean, like starting with the startups, with people who are just uh, getting started in terms of the startup uh, cycle, up to scale-ups and up to fully-fledged huge companies and corporates. All of these have different needs and uh, different approaches, mm -hmm. uh, most importantly towards innovation. And at the same time, if you're talking about the government level, of course, it's an entirely different approach to innovation as well. Yeah. So at the government level, you have to, uh, to engage with many, many stakeholders. You have to engage with your citizens. You have to approach innovation in a way that enables you to play the facilitator role 
rather than mm. the one who executes the innovative products by necessity. So you have to play the hub uh, or the facet, yeah, mm. the facilitator role basically as a government. Mm, that's interesting. Okay, because. I feel like, I mean, I've worked in culture transformation and I've done many kind of innovation workshops to create strategies that would improve employee engagement or the ways of working. And that was either related to how to bring innovation uh, forward in the organization or how to improve well-being and mental health or diversity and inclusion. And I feel like what you just described about the government being more of a facilitator. I feel like in organizations, it should also be the same because it should be embraced by the whole organization as well. So it's like, it's not the citizens, but it's the employees now, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. definitely. Totally agree. Totally agree. They should actually most importantly enable and empower mm -hmm. rather than decide, right? Yeah. So the decision should be collective as much as it's top down, it should also be bottom up and it should be all in a very collaborative manner that ultimately whatever decisions that are taken can be traced back to conversations and to, I don't know, arguments that happened mm -hmm. to uh, with whatever ideation process that, that got implemented. So yeah, I totally agree. Mm. It needs to be. All the organizations need to play the facilitator role. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that too. I think it's super important to have a real connection and cohesion um, within the yes. company when it comes to innovation, whatever the innovation is. And we'll come back to that. But you talked about also like workshops that you've done and like the tools that you've used. And I'm curious to know what is growth hacking? That sounds <laughs> sexy. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not the growth hacking expert by any means. Mm -hmm. Even at, uh, at ONTAP, we have our very own uh, chief growth officer. Right. But basically, growth hacking is, is primarily trying with as minimum resources as possible in a very optimized manner to reach uh, growth or to achieve growth or to grow at certain levels that are ambitious. And basically, growth hacking is a mindset. And when you embrace the mindset of growth hacking, you start figuring out solutions that are super creative, that uh, that gets you to the point of, I don't know, let's achieve, uh, let's get to this number of leads or potential customers, let's have this number of demos, signups, whatever. And you set your targets and you start thinking, okay, instead of paying this huge amount on ads, no, we'll probably uh, going to, to have some, we'll write something that is uh, quite uh, showcasing of thought leadership, we'll engage in whichever online events, we'll do uh, these referral programs for our customers, for instance, if they refer someone to our product, then they get an incentive or whatever. So, Growth hacking is a mindset that when embraced, you are becoming very uh, conscious of the kind of targets that you have. You're very analytical also when pursuing this and you're data driven. And at the same time, you try as much as possible to optimize the resources most importantly. So it's kind of hacking your way towards growth rather than doing it the old fashioned way of spending a lot on marketing. That's very interesting. I feel like sometimes, you know, when it comes to innovation or like, 
bringing innovative solutions to the workplace or even to your employees or to the world in general, sometimes we have this vision of innovation being this very like creative way of ideating ideas and, and so on with like, for example, design thinking exercises and those kind of stuff. But actually, you we have tools as well that can, you know, work for organizations that are more data focused, which um, goals and objectives are more to kind of really grow. So it's it's really interesting because you have those both sides that like you can actually have this growth ambition and at the same time use innovative way of getting there. So that's super interesting. And then you said that you had a first startup, right? Uh, and that didn't work at the end. So what happened there? Um, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So basically the first startup, I'll just tell you the actual reason and maybe reflect a bit on it. Mm -hmm. At some point, we launched the platform a couple of years after we started working on Silvermine. So uh, at the time, we did not have enough resources to hire developers. We did not know how to code the platform, actually. And I had to learn for a few months how to code and how to build a platform, which eventually I did. And then when we launched the platform and when we had challenges by three organizations to crowdsource solutions for, we told the organizations, these three organizations, that they can use the platform for free because it's the first time, it's their pilot, and so on and so forth. And we ran out of money. And that's basically the primary reason why at some point I decided to shut down the startup, because I was financially broke myself, mm -hmm. as Sabine. I did not have uh, any money whatsoever to support myself. And it was an incredibly hard experience back then, because I did not have uh, enough to pay rent, uh, to get food, to do anything. And it was uh, very, very hard to keep working on the platform. So at some point, I said, uh, of course, I need to take a huge break and I need to figure out what I need to do. And even though we were super passionate about the startup and about the platform, and we believed a lot in the vision, but uh, didn't work out. The team, by the way, was the second factor because it was only me who was a full time working on the startup. So that was not uh, also the optimum setting, of course. Yeah, I quit my job at the university and, and worked full time on it, uh, which was might have not been the, the smart decision to take back then. And also, as I said in the beginning, the startup idea was super novel at the time, especially in the Middle East. I mean, like, of course, there were successful open innovation platforms and crowdsourcing platforms out in, in, in Europe and in the US. But in the Middle East, there were none. And the thing is, we were trying as much as possible to educate the market, to tell them what open innovation is. And we were fixated on challenges that are not really important. Like, for instance, we uh, we got hung up on the whole intellectual property transfer issues, the agreements between the companies with problem statements and the solvers with solutions. And no one actually cared because no one understood what we were doing in the first place. And uh, we were very fixated on how to formulate a proper public statement, uh, how to communicate it and all of that. And of course, all we needed to do was just to build the MVP, the minimum viable product, get the platform out there and maybe start with a few problem statements that were not critical to the organizations behind them. They were fine and can be easily disseminated even in the form of competitions. 
uh, basically. Uh, so basically calling for any innovators to solve them in exchange for monetary incentives. And that would have done the whole thing. But instead, we fixated on things that we thought were important that were not important. So if I'm going to rank them, of course, being financially broke meant the end for the startup. And then the team itself, we were not uh, complete at all. And none of us was a full-time except for myself. And then, of course, uh, fixating on not so important issues versus trying as much as possible to be agile and to be lean and to get the first version of the platform out there as quickly as possible without all the complexities that we're trying as much as possible to solve, which were not important at the end of the day. Mm, ah, that's so interesting. I think there's so many interesting points in your story here because I think the message that I'd like to get out there is that sometimes, you know, being an entrepreneur can seem like the dream, like and seem like, you know, oh, yeah, I'd love to have my own company. And, you know, you have all this big ambition and big dream. But the actual reality of being an entrepreneur sometimes is difficult, right? And there's loads of entrepreneurs, obviously, who, you know, have tried many, many times before being successful. And now you have a successful business, which is great. But I think it's really important for listeners, I think, to understand that you don't necessarily get it right the first time and the journey can be full of obstacles. And at the end of the day, you have also loads of learnings, but it's not easy when you're in the game. It's not easy at all. It's, it's not easy at all. And with every phase, you have the set of challenges and the set of uh, difficulties, but I still call them challenges, of course, because being an entrepreneur is very difficult. I mean, like at the individual level, uh, it's a very lonely job. And in many times you find yourself like uh, emotionally, you are not 100% uh, available, right? So you're kind of suffering. So it affects your mental health, your emotional well-being and, and everything. But basically every stage and every phase is different. So at the very beginning, you have your set of challenges and then the next phase when you actually get it up and running and start uh, having your own uh, steps or some milestones already done, you feel the achievement and there is a bright side of entrepreneurship, of course, and there is a very exciting uh, times that you get. But still, it's a roller coaster, right? Like the journey itself from from one stage to the other is always, always filled with challenges. But at the end of the day, even despite any challenges and despite all the toll on, on your mental health and emotional well-being and financial life and all of that, if someone is determined to solve a specific problem, not to be an entrepreneur, but to solve a specific problem that they're really passionate about, then I would always say that, that it's worth it at the end, right? Mm. It's not really about being an entrepreneur by necessity. Even though in the beginning, I was always promoting entrepreneurship and promoting startups and trying as much as possible to spread the culture. But at some point, I realized it's not about having all the shiny things about entrepreneurship, like running your own business and um, being your own boss and yeah. all of these fancy terms. It's rather actually trying to solve a real problem. And being determined and absolutely focused on solving this problem because you can see the impact when the problem gets solved. You get excited about the, this kind of impact. I mean, like, it's definitely a challenging path. But if you're working on a problem you're passionate about, it's definitely worth it despite anything. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's it. The reason why most people want to be entrepreneurs is because there's this freedom thing, right? Like we see it yeah. as, and it's true, you know, if you succeed and if you're successful in the realization of your mission or your objectives, then, you know, it's huge freedom and that's great. But the real question is what you're trying to solve here and what's the value? Yeah. Because it's like saying, you know, I want to be innovative to be innovative. You know, I want to be an entrepreneur to be an entrepreneur. But if you start with this mindset, it's probably going to be more difficult. And even as you said, you know, emotionally, I think even when you have a mission or a purpose and a real challenge that you're trying to solve, the road is still full of doubts, right? I mean, I feel it like almost on a day to day, you know, you're always questioning yourself and questioning the path you've chosen and, and why you've chosen it. But then at the end of the day, what keeps you going is really this purpose that's driving you, right? This this thing of like really making a, an impact, whatever the, the area you're in. So I think it's it's really important for, for listeners to know that because if some of you are wondering or like telling themselves, oh, I'd love to be an entrepreneur. I mean, that's great. But then why? And what are you trying yeah. to bring to the world? And I think, you know, our society as well is also conditioned to think that failure is not an option. So there's this extra mm. layer of pressure of like telling yourself, I want to do this, like even if you have a mission or a purpose, I mean, I'm having these questions all the time being like, I can't fail. Like, I can't fail. I need to make that work because I really want to, to contribute and to make an impact in that space. But then that's adding another layer of pressure. And, and you know, and yeah. when actually, you know, in your situation, you've been through that journey of trying to build something. And as you said, you know, at the end, you failed. But then today you are in a really, really good position and I'm sure you've had so many learnings too from that experience right if you had to to give like maybe one or two like big learnings that you had from this experience what would it be one of the very primary learnings is that basically everything passes right life goes on mm-hmm. and what I might say might seem contradictory but life goes on is one thing like for instance it was never the end of the world that the first start I failed even though I had a huge fear out of failure at the time and I did not want at all at any cost to fail but it happened and when it happened I thought I'd be devastated and I was of course for a while not doing really well and so on and so forth but still what I discovered out of that experience and out of several other experiences that I've had in my personal life and in my professional life is that anything passes and life goes on. It's fine. Nothing ever uh, stops or ceases to exist because of a failed experience. You can always have a second chance. You can always, always do something different and then get back to whatever you were trying to do. And actually, life not just goes on, you discover the beauty about, I wouldn't say it's a coincidence, but I would say that because of this failure, ultimately after several years, you discover that because of this failure, something else happened that drove to the current success, which was brilliant because basically when we shut down the startup, for instance, 
I thought that was the end of it and everything. And I even told my co-founders, none of us will work again in open innovation. And I was very dramatic, which was very dramatic statements. And of course, they were nonsense. But then at some point, a year and a half after shutting down the startup, a corporate uh, approached me. It was EMC at the time. Now it's Dell Technologies. And they told me, we heard about your previous startup. And we want your support in launching a region-wide um, competition for students, innovation competition, actually. So uh, are you available? And I mean, like, if I did not work on the startup before, I would not be the one to go to EMC and then the technologies would go to in order to support them with this competition, which was actually the, all the trigger behind Untap. So actually, all the failure and everything, not only life goes on, and not only do you learn a lot out of it, no, it goes to a point where failure is a step towards success. And it can be a direct reason, not only an indirect reason where you learn and you experience and all of that. No, it can actually work in a very um, coincidental manner and just uh, be the reason why another venture appeared and and all the other opportunities came up and so on and so forth. So I would say uh, this is something. And of course, the other lesson that, that I learned was that persistence pays off. I mean, like eventually, again, if you're passionate about a certain problem, about solving a certain problem, uh, and you keep at it, and even if you pause and take a break for a bit, when you return back and you are persistent and you're so determined to solve this problem, actually this pays off. And for a very long while, even at Untap, we had financial issues, we had team issues, we had a lot of problems in operations, we were slow in terms of developing the product and all of that. We had challenges, of course, and we still have a lot of challenges. But still, when you keep at it, things eventually, eventually change. So it's kind of, like, I think people, they either quit too soon or, I mean, like, they are fixated on the wrong problem or they're motivated by the wrong reasons. So if you have a real challenge that you want to solve through your venture and at the same time, if it's really something that you're passionate about, don't quit. Don't quit unless something major happens, which is, yeah. But I, I would say don't quit. I would say persistence is key. Wow, I mean, really selfishly, that's a really beautiful message of hope for me because, you know, again, I, I've been in this entrepreneurial journey for way less time than you do. And I'm really, really passionate about what I do and the mission behind it and what I want to do and, and contribute to the world. And it's, it's just that, yeah, sometimes it's difficult. And I think it's it's really important for listeners to also have that insight. And if I circle back, you know, learnings are life goes on, at the end, it's all worth it because there are going to be other opportunities coming your way because you are really passionate about the mission and the problem that you're trying to solve. And so yeah. it's almost like life is going to send you back on track Yeah, at some point. Oh, that's, I totally believe that. Yes, exactly. That's exactly. beautiful. That's beautiful. Since we talked about all of that, can you tell us more about your mission now and like the purpose of Untap and what you're trying to do here? Yes. 
definitely. So for me personally, on top is a reflection of truly what I'm trying to do in my life, right? Personally, at the personal level. So I always figured that I'm very excited. I'm always very happy when I find people or I be uh, I'm a factor in finding people who have solutions, right? And who are very talented. So we built UNTAP with the mission of tapping into, which is why it's called UNTAP, tapping into the potential of people who are usually unrecognized, not easily accessible, and basically trying to get them to showcase their innovations and their solutions and so on and so forth through the competitions and through the programs, the innovation programs that we manage at UNTAP. So if I'm better going to summarize it, UNTAP basically is our quest to find solutions to some of humanity's challenges, whether we're talking about minuscule challenges or grand challenges, doesn't matter. I mean, like as long as we're talking about challenges that matter to people and to organizations, UNTAP is basically the platform where those challenges or some of the challenges get to be solved through tapping into networks of people with potential and with talent and with the intellectual contributions necessary to solve those challenges and to showcase their talent and their innovations. I mean, like, uh, of course, my dream at some point is that we play a role or we become one of the factors why, I don't know, or how people could find cures to to certain diseases, to find solutions to some of the issues related to climate change, to to find uh, novel uh, ideas when it comes to education, when it comes to health and all of that. And this is why I see UNTAP as a very impactful venture, because if you allow me to talk a bit about it and what we do. Of course, yeah. Yes, UNTAP started basically as a competition management platform, right? So that seems simple. We facilitate uh, competitions, innovation challenges, hackathons, and so on and so forth. And these are events that where organizations try to find people that help them with uh, ideas and solutions and so on and so forth. And the software kind of playing the intermediary role, streamlining the entire uh, operations and all the workflows and enabling the organizations to just basically uh, make their call for applications, receive applications, evaluate them, and select the great ones, the ones who are outstanding, to give them awards and to collaborate with them on whatever solutions they're working on. So we started with this idea, and it's kind of now evolving into more. We power consistent programs, not only competitions. We are next year, we're planning to launch our citizen engagement and employee innovation platforms as well to entities, to large corporates and governments who can then engage their employees, their citizens, their consumers, all their their ecosystems, basically, in the innovation life cycle. So that's the, the goal for next year, to move from single events, from competitions, to actually powering the entire innovation life cycle process between the organizations and their networks. Uh, whether we're talking about, again, citizens, consumers, or the crowd at large with the students, the startups, the partners, and so on and so forth. We powered so far over 160 programs. And just to give you an idea, they're very diverse, ranging from creative contests. Like, for instance, we power a 70-year-old award program in Australia called ABDA, 
for book designs, right? For people who design the covers for books and the internal pages and all of that, which is super exciting. And we also power a huge contest by an organization called CWEM in the UK called Environmental Photographer of the Year, which is a global contest for photography where photographers actually submit photos showcasing the effects of climate change and they get to be evaluated and selected on the platform. And it's a mind-blowing contest. You cannot imagine the amazing and beautiful photos that get to be submitted by thousands and thousands of photographers from over 100 countries every year. And it's just something that I feel very humbled to, that we play a role in actually getting this to light, actually, and getting this live to people. We also power so many innovation challenges and competitions, for instance, by the government in Saudi Arabia, by the government in Egypt, by even we, we ran an anti-corruption hackathon with the United Nations before, where people contributed ideas and solutions to how we counteract corruption in the governmental sector, for instance, which was super exciting to us seeing the, the solutions that came up from the crowd. And yeah, I mean, like over 160 programs and counting, and we work with customers from 20 different countries, which is for me, again, very uh, super exciting from all corners in the world, from North America to Mexico to Latin America to uh, countries in Africa to Australia to many countries in Europe to Singapore to, to I mean, like, it's great. It's great. It's, uh, it's just something that we get excited about every single day that we are part of programs that tap into massive networks of participants from all over the world. And they're all very impactful programs that try to do something good and try to to contribute to the world, actually. So, yeah. It's amazing. And I'm thinking, is the um, Environmental Photographer of the Year challenge, was it at the Natural History Museum in London? Because yeah, the National so. yeah, Geographic yeah, yeah. did uh, an exhibition there and I, I went to the exhibition and it was absolutely mind-blowing. And I think there were some candidates that actually participated to this program. And yeah, the exhibition was absolutely amazing. And I'm wondering if it's not still on, actually. So if anyone is interested, they should go because it's a long exhibition of like an hour or two hours, but you you leave that space feeling so inspired, but mm. also a bit heartbroken by yeah. what's happening yeah. in the world because there are some very strong images there, but it's it's absolutely an amazing exhibition. So, And I, I didn't know you, like Untap actually, in some ways, participated to that. It's amazing. And... So, so many interesting projects and projects that are actually meaningful and impactful to the world. Do you have an example of a time where, you know, you've seen those innovation projects really come to life and have a real impact? Because I guess what happens with Untap is that Uh, people submit the, like, you have a challenge and people submit their, their ideas or, like, their project to uh, tackle that challenge. And then how does it work? Like, how does the platform work? And where do you get to a point where you s 
submit a challenge, people are submitting their solutions. And then how does that come to life at the end? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. So, uh, I mean, in regards to the mechanics of how it works, it's very, very simple. We provide the software where you build the landing page, right? The call for applications itself, putting all the information about your challenge, about the program, whichever it might be. And basically, you build also the application form that people are going to fill out in order to participate. And they start signing up and they start filling out the application form. And you collect the applications where you get automated screening mechanisms on untap to just filter out the ones that are totally irrelevant or are of irrelevant quality or whatever. And then basically, you get the submissions that can move to the actual judging on untap. Uh, you invite the judges, you give them evaluation criteria through the evaluation form. And basically, they log into their accounts, they evaluate the submissions using the evaluation form that you built on UNTAP. And basically, you collect the evaluations, you get a leaderboard of all the submissions run as per the average score that is automatically calculated from the different scores given by the judges. And the beauty about the platform is that it doesn't stop at this point. You can actually power all the other phases all the other rounds of a program on UNTAP as well. So you can qualify certain groups of participants to the second round, for instance, where you get to ask them for, let's say, progress reports, uh, more comprehensive submissions, videos, whatever. You get to ask those qualified participants for new submissions on the same accounts that they have on UNTAP. And you get to also have then re-evaluated again using different criteria or using different judges or both, right? And then you again have the leaderboard where you qualify the ones to the third round, fourth round, and so on and so forth. So be, depending on the program type, and we power many, many types of programs, and as I said, it's super diverse. So depending on the program type, the rounds are determined. And basically, at the end, you have the option to have the final ceremony or um, I would say even post-program surveys or analysis actually on, on top where the qualified or the winners get to update their profiles or their applications with all the information that gives an insight regarding how they're progressing, what they achieved, and so on and so forth. And you get this all analyzed on your ONTAP dashboard and, and everything is super accessible then. The thing about the impact assessment and we as UNTAP, uh, how we measure it, again, because there are different programs, I mean, for instance, we run several programs by incubators and accelerators. The matrix of these programs, the intake programs, is basically whether qualified startups apply. And if those qualified startups go through the program successfully and end up surviving, right? I would say because we ran so many startup programs before, we have uh, out of the literally over 100,000 participants that we have on Untap Network, we have literally hundreds of startups that still survive till that day that started because they were ideas at the very initial application part. And then they graduated from the incubation or the accelerator program that they went through and all monitored on UNTAP. And then basically, when we check them out, we follow up with them. We don't necessarily follow up with them as UNTAP, but at least we know that from the organizer, from our customers. We see them as the startups who are still surviving. Some of them, of course, they got investments and they really grew a lot. Mm -hmm. And some others, 
they're just barely surviving, which is the norm and which is totally fine. So the startup programs is different, of course, than the hackathons. Hackathons are very, very interesting because they have two purposes. One, of they have two potential objectives, right? One of the objectives of a hackathon is basically talent acquisition. Let's be blunt about it. Corporates do hackathons because they want to identify the most talented developers and techies out there in order to attract them and in order to hire them, right? So if we're talking about hackathons for talent acquisition, that happened a lot also on our platform. And basically, a corporate like Dell Technologies, which we're super proud to work with, which is actually our first customer since the very, very early beginning, we managed with, with Dell Technologies so far 18 different programs. And some of them were hackathons. And they definitely, definitely hired, I would say, almost more than 30 or 40 candidates out of hackathons and out of the programs that they managed to untap. So maybe even 50 candidates, which is huge. Like if you're a corporate and you're based somewhere and you manage through your programs to hire that many people, it's actually absolutely successful outcome. Mm. And as I said, based on the program type, we can then measure the impact. Of course, something like Epoty by CWEM, just the absolute genius showcase of the photos. This is just enough to raise awareness let people think, let people wonder, reflect. This is, of course, and of course, celebrate the photographers and give them awards. This is a successful outcome as well. So, yeah, it's different. I think it's so interesting because what you just talked about now is really the full spectrum of innovation. It goes from a very, can be a very small challenge, like designing book covers, for example, to actually solving some of the most pressing and important issues of the 21st century to also solving important challenges for companies. And so it's it's really the full spectrum. And I think that's really interesting to have that insight because I feel that the way we've been educated about innovation is sometimes a bit binary, you know, it's either incremental or it's transformational. And I've seen some companies, for example, trying to do uh, some innovation to be innovative or just focus on only one side of the issue and not looking at the full picture. And one of the examples that comes to mind is in, in the fashion industry, because that's the industry I'm specialized in. But sometimes I see companies doing, I don't know, like metaverse and NFTs, innovation and they all communicated being like this new thing of you know the fashion in the metaverse or like things like that and I look at that and I'm like wow that's so cool like fashion and technology together I mean for me it's amazing but then when I take a step back sometimes I'm like okay but what's the value of that because yeah. you're investing so much resources into making that happen and that's great and that's super cool right but then at the end of the day what's the value of doing that, what are you trying to achieve? And shouldn't you not use those resources to solve more pressing issues, right? Or like more important issues that can actually have an impact on society or the planet. So mm. what do you think about that? Because I think it's really important to think of innovation as like in a conscious and connected way as well. Yeah. Like it needs sometimes to take the, the full picture of what you're trying to yeah, achieve here. Definitely. But the problem is with our world, 
I mean, if we're talking in a very honest way, is that priorities are not really set based on logic, right? Mm -hmm. Priorities are not really set based on what's best for our planet, what's best for us as human beings. And and we're not logical by any means. And we're driven by short-term gains and we're driven by profit because we're in a capitalist world which Mm -hmm. has its own set of disadvantages. And when we're talking about conscious innovation, I would always, always say that, yes, this should be the top priority or the, the mindset which drives everything. But honestly speaking, as long as we have our priorities not set in a way that serves our planet, you'll always find investments done in, in things that are not necessarily having a positive impact, right? Mm. We always feel like, why did this particular, I don't know, company uh, get uh, this huge amount of investment, even though uh, they're not really doing something that benefits us collectively as human beings, they're doing something that is trivial. And the reason is simple. The reason is simple is simply that we're driven by short-term gains and profits, and we are in a capitalist world, which has its own set of advantages, of course. No, we, we're not planning to go back to any other uh, ideology, but at least we need to work. We, as people who are conscious of, of impact, and uh, we need to have our own agenda out there as well, mm. right? Yeah. So we need to be there. Uh, when we get engaged with our partners, with our customers, with our teams and so on and so forth, we need to be very loud and clear regarding what matters. Because when you have something that opposes the mainstream, actually there would be some sort of a balance, right? At the end of the day, we can create a form of a balance so that then, okay, never mind, there are billions that are spent on unnecessary things for now for the planet but at the other end of the spectrum there are also many many investments and many people engaged in true impactful work so i would say let's not fight it for Mm -hmm. now yeah let's just try to complement the spectrum right yeah no exactly and i'm glad that you said that because it's exactly the goal of my podcast also is to bring those positive initiatives and those positive projects and companies that are out there that we don't necessarily hear about too much because sometimes we're focused too much on the negative but actually there are some really great people out there like you who are doing amazing work and are actually contributing to to this world in a beautiful way we're coming to the end of the podcast unfortunately oh my god it went so fast Um, but I would like to ask you the last two signature questions of this podcast so you know it's called the podcast is called Wonder Walkers I think you got the vibe here Uh, and after all we we talked about today what would you say is your superpower? (laughs) That's a nice nice what would I say to be my superpower? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's something that I did not actually talk about at all during the podcast, mm-hmm. but I would say that I try as much as possible, which is exactly what I think the world needs. To I try as much as possible to be as kind always as possible, right? Because kindness is underrated. Mm. And kindness, in my opinion, would be the key to anything. And this is not... 
because of uh, me thinking this way, but basically because many people say to me that it really, really affects how they go on with their day when we just smile in a genuine way, when we try to be as kind to people, even random acts of kindness go a very, very, very long way. So I would say kindness is something that I cherish and I try to always have. And it's, uh, I would say it's a superpower because uh, it is. Because yeah, many people say <laughs> it is a superpower, especially nowadays. Like with everything that we see out there, I think, as you said, kindness is underrated it's underrated so beautiful underrated. <laughs> so glad that you said that and i think you know i hope that people would have felt that uh during the podcast as well because i know that you are such a like an amazing person and a wholehearted kind individual really and Thank caring so leader so very grateful for for talking to you today okay last question who would you like to mm -hmm. hear next in this podcast oh wow <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would I like to hear next in this podcast there's so many wonderful people out there who are doing amazing work mm -hmm. like yourself it warms my heart when I, I look at the people I know and I look at the people even I look up to and I realize how compassionate and how good they actually are so uh, I trust your choice in anyone that you would select to come to the podcast mm -hmm. for sure But uh, there's so many inspiring examples out there. I know in, in our region, for instance, even though it's not the conventional destination when it comes to innovation and entrepreneurship and so on yet, yet. But uh, I mean, like talking out of experience in the Middle East and in Africa and in other developing countries, I met so many inspiring people yeah. that uh, I'd love to give you uh, a full list of. Yeah, to, that'd be great. I mean, they don't have to be uh, entrepreneurs or, uh, or founders, yes, even people who are, you know, like just doing something good for the world. We'll talk about that then after the podcast. Sabrine, I cannot say how, uh, again, grateful I am to have you on the podcast. It was such a great conversation and I knew it was going to be great. I knew it. <laughs> so I mean, I'm so grateful to you. cannot imagine. I'm really, really grateful to you. And I, I expected a great conversation. And, and this is even beyond my expectation, to be honest, because wow. of how amazing you moderated everything. Thank you so much thank you for inviting me and thank you for giving me this platform and i'm so looking forward to all the next episodes and to this podcast becoming a real platform to showcase some of the most inspiring examples and inspiring people out there i'm so excited actually about it i'm so excited about you thank so, you thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you yeah you made my day Sabrina. well you. see you soon then see you soon bye Follow the Wonder Workers podcast so that every two weeks you can get notified when a new episode is out. And I must say, if you don't, that's okay. But that would be a big miss because we have more inspiring and powerful guests to come. So let's meet up in two weeks for a new episode of Wonder Workers, a podcast that transports you into the world of our modern change catalysts and empowers you too to change the world. This podcast is created and hosted by me, Laura Warnod, founder of The Culture Cabinet. Thank you to Content is Queen for producing the podcast. But above all, thank you for listening. See you soon. <laughs>